Welcome back. There should have been spooky music coming into the uh, into this episode. So uh, hopefully, I found some music that was spooky enough for uh, for everyone. So uh, welcome to the pre-Halloween episode of uh, the Breakpoint Show. So it's October twenty fifth, two thousand and three, and we are back actually martin's back Khalid and i have been back the whole time we're just we just live in these in these rooms that you see us in uh but martin was in yeah martin was in belgium for netherlands actually, belgium belgium is home i was at the grama in uh netherlands and netherlands in, yeah in the, that other that other country that uh that has bad food and good beer so and funny accents everywhere and funny accents so uh and then you were in porto portugal and that was a lot of fun if you hear martin sniffling or sneezing or or if he goes mute it's because he everyone got sick at ndc porto um it's it's all the organizers fault that it was raining the entire week yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. you you guys remember what i said uh in our last episode and you were like khalid you got to go to conferences and i said you know what people are icky and it's, it's gonna you know and then martin gets sick yeah so i, I hate him. to say it khalid but you were right <laughs> uh, or he, he cursed you it's halloween so he he might have cursed you yeah. so yeah and then Khalid has spooky uh, lights behind him, and he actually, in honor of of uh, Martin and I having having uh, short hair, Khalid thought he would get short hair, so he he shaved his head. So yeah, you know, I, I thought to myself, what's better than two guys with shaved heads? I said three guys, three guys yeah, with shaved heads. Yeah, exactly. Do the math. So. But so for this Halloween special, we're going to we're going to twist up and, and talk about a few things. So we're going to talk about technologies we would murder like Freddy Cougar or Michael Myers or or Chucky. Um, I like Chucky. I like Chucky, too. And Chucky's bride. So yeah. uh, and uh, what what uh technology we we would resurrect or reanimate if anyone uh remembers the old reanimator movie from the 1980s uh you might want to go out this halloween and find that one and and watch it uh i don't know how how well it's aged because i haven't watched it since probably the late 80s but came out in our mid 80s or so or early 80s so and then we'll if we have time we might talk about spooky stories from our careers so uh so i will uh you know i always kick it off to someone so i'm gonna kick it off to uh let's go with martin before he has a a sneeze attack and talk <laughs> about technologies we would kill murder like put into a grave uh so take it take it away can i start with the one that i would love to revive or at least sure we can we can talk about kind that of alive? 
Yeah, yeah, we would re. What what would what do you want to reanimate? I, I would love to reanimate Knockout JS. Um, I know that we are uh, kind of related to .NET audience and so on, but I would love to reanimate Knockout JS because when you're building APIs or any web application that needs just a sprinkle of interactivity in the browser, Knockout JS was actually really good to do that. Uh, working with view models and everything, but without all of the overhead of requiring page routing or service workers or all of those things, Knockout Chase was just straight to the point. Here's my DOM. I want to bind it to some data and go ahead with that. Do you agree? Uh, I, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we have gotten so complex in web development today. I think most of our, some of our story, a large portion of our murder reanimate involves trying to get back to a more simple life, I think. I think uh, we've gone down this road of complex solutions and and it just causes, causes some issues. Yeah, so I have thoughts about Knockout.js because I, I use Knockout.js a lot. Uh, I really liked, you kind of have to look at Knockout JS in the context of the time it was created, right? Like JavaScript was still very fledgling. Um, like the APIs in JavaScript and kind of like the web context just weren't there. So you had to call like methods instead of access fields. It was kind of weird, but it worked at the time. So I, I agree with the spirit of Knockout JS. I don't know if I want the API of Knockout.js back. I don't think it works in today's modern development landscape. Um, but I will say, I agree with Martin of like a lot of SPA frameworks like a React, um, even Vue, which I love Vue, <clears throat> and um, Svelte. Uh, you can build it like isolated components, but you typically see the demos that are like pushing for full-blown spa takeovers of the front end. And I think that part kind of sucks today, <laughs> right? So is, is this you saying that you would uh, grab an X and just run after React and just put it down? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I was reading the documentation the other day and they do say you can kind of spin up a React component isolated from a React application, but I would guess nobody actually does that. Like it's an option, but then you have to ship the entire React library to the front end. People sometimes substitute things like Preact in those cases, but yeah. Um, but I agree with you. Like the thing I would want to revive to piggyback off of what you said, I was thinking about it this morning. Um, the idea of unobtrusiveness in terms of your style sheets and your JavaScript. Remember that was a big thing, like being unobtrusive, like jQuery pushed this idea of like, you have your HTML, you can do some progressive enhancements of like hijacking forms or hijacking elements, but ultimately the page kind of stands with itself. At some point we lost that. Things like Tailwind that have like just these like 
crazy amount of CSS utility classes, uh, JavaScript that's like right on the page and like tied directly to components. Like it works, but it feels maybe in my old mushy brain, it just feels not the right way. So, <laughs> so yeah. just to piggyback, how do you, how do you folks remember the unobtrusiveness of web development? Do you, did you like it? Did you not like it? Well, I always thought it was, and this is just me looking back. I like something that's a little straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, like as an example, dependency injection, I hated dependency injection when it first came out uh, in, in a .NET framework at, via third, like third party libraries and products and stuff. Mm -hmm. because not because I didn't see the benefit in it. I got burned from like two or three projects that I had to inherit that used inject or, or any of the other, uh, dependency injection. And they were really complex to, uh, to kind of understand like, mm -hmm. Like whoever wrote it understood it, but whoever was, unless it was some knowledge sharing, it was tough. And it's like, okay, this goes down the rabbit hole or gopher hole. Where is it coming back out? And that was the problem. It was this magic bag that you could kind of grab from any place. And so I was really happy when when .NET Core, when like the the uh, the people at Microsoft said, let's just build it into the uh, the actual framework, and mm -hmm. not that it it um, makes it that much easier, but there is a established pattern that that you do where you pretty much know oh it just constructors and and at least traditionally most people use the .NET Core or .NET, the new .NET uh, dependency injection via constructor um, mostly. So there's other ways to, to grab from the, from the uh, DI container, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wish if I had to murder something, it would be the overuse of of uh front end development mm -hmm. and i know i i'm like a broken record on this but uh i think we've we we need a little bit of like pendulum swinging back to to more server side mm -hmm. if you take a look at it we have all this resources in the cloud and you're telling me that that we have to push everything to the browser and do 95% of everything over there. And it, it's the same thing. Like if I could resurrect, you know, we were talking about this and, and I have, I have the most, everyone's going to kill me and, and want to <laughs> murder me and come after me with an ax. But uh, I'll tell you the thing that I would, I would want to reanimate is, you know, putting more stuff 
closer to the data. And that means the dreaded two words, stored procs. Stored procs? Oh, my God. Oh, my what's, God. What's, yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. So, I, I mean, if I had some processing to do, why not push it into the database, let the database do it? Oh, man. Right? I know, I know people are going to go, oh, what a year, no guy. You like your stored procs. But there, there is a place and time for stored procs and, and, uh, and functions and stuff over in the, in the database. I mean, use, use the power and distribute the processing evenly across your, your application space. Don't put, you don't have to put, everything in the front end yeah for for folks listening to the audio version chris just removed his mask and he's a dba underneath there so it's it's i'm shocked, I'm shocked. i have you know what i've stayed at <laughs> holiday in expresses so sometimes i have been a dba so <laughs> no i i get what you're saying right like the the thing that you're seeing happening in the front end world is like they're realizing there's limits to what you should be doing on the front end. And and speaking of like, uh, you know, like uh, horrors, <laughs> like when you think about it, every client that comes to your spa application is essentially running the same like process slash execution on the client. Whereas if you just did it once on the back end and cached it, it would actually be a lot more uh, efficient. efficient, like utilizing resources because you're not having these millions of CPUs out there essentially doing the same work repeatedly. You just do it once and cache it. So yeah, like server side components. Think mm -hmm. about it. If you if you created the output for a certain component that never changed you wouldn't have to have every time every time it got loaded up the first time it got loaded up in a in the uh, uh, browser space with the virtual dom and all mm -hmm. that it would have to be recreated you could basically just sit it a cached web component on the server side that could just kind of push out and you know, I just upgraded my internet to uh, to two to two gig, mm -hmm. so I've got two hundred. I get close to two two thousand megabit. Um. So, so that leads my question: If we're getting faster and faster connections, why do we have to do everything locally? And and when when now, tell me if I'm wrong, but that was the big push 15, like 10 to 15 years ago when Angular and React and they all became popular was you have one push down to your browser and then you, you don't have, you don't have to have that big pipe to send stuff back and forth. And do we really need... Does that really need to exist today with yeah. faster and faster uh, connections? I mean, we're—I sometimes get 200 megabit download speeds on my iPhone, depending on where I 
like where I'm at. <laughs> Go ahead, Martin. With that, kind of, with that connectivity, Chris, I'm just going to run all my applications in your house. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll, you can pay me to, I'll, I'll set the server up over there and you can. Chris has got. Cloud, I mean, what is a cloud? Cloud computing is just someone else's computer someplace. The, outside the, C, of the C in cloud stands for Chris. I think. I think that's what. It... Maybe. <laughs> no, but you're you're right in the sense of like if we, man, you're making us this pod, the this show is making me feel old. But you're right in the sense of like if we travel back, the HTML payload was like supposedly way heavier than say a json payload so what we were trying to do is optimize throughput at the time but with things like http2 and http3 on the horizon and being able to kind of like um you know pipeline a lot of the traffic through multiple pipes yeah it it kind of like the old problem kind of just was solved at a lower level than the application level at this point. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's always good for us to go back and reevaluate why we're doing something and if it's still this, the right way to do it. And I think that's mm -hmm. important. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I still want to say you're wrong just cause I, I like telling people it's they're fine. wrong. But... You can tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> me I'm wrong all the time. So, and my kids, all my kids tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> so, um, but you're you're right. You're right in this instance. You're right. You're right. So, I mean, I, I'm just looking for balance. Yeah, I'm I'm looking for balance. So, uh, speaking yeah. speaking of balance, I I think we revived a couple of technologies, but we haven't really killed off too many of yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. What we have a technology. So what would you kill kill off? Hmm. What would you murder? What would you say go to this this old camp by the spooky lake and and <laughs> like stay in the dark and and don't go don't run to a car and drive away. Hmm. Interesting. Good, Martin. I, I feel you're 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 reaching for that axe right now. You're yeah. thinking. You're thinking. Or chainsaw. I have a couple. I have a couple, but I I think most of them have been killed, or at least in practice, they are no longer being used and, and very active out there. So it's 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 good. Yeah, I mean the obvious one was for me is like cryptocurrency and kind of this, uh, this nonsense, right? Like, well, maybe this is a, this is a good thing to kill, but. I think the hype needs to die. Whatever technology comes out and the the wacky expectations and hype around new technology as if it's a panacea, as if it's going to be this transformational thing that's I I I'd never seen a technology be so transformational and live up to the hype that kind of goes around it i think wow. stuff can be helpful like llms are a good thing where there's like a lot of hype and i think they can be helpful but there's also a lot of silly i guess there's a lot of silly prophets out there saying some weird stuff and 
I'm just like, I don't know. I think that needs to, I think the hype needs to die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's always going to be the balance where something new shows up and people get enthusiastic about it, want to play with it. And I think that's a good thing, right? It, it's, yeah. It gives people a reason to try the technology, come up with wacky ideas that might just work. But I do agree that a lot of the hype after that wacky period should should just die off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think one one really nice example I found there was this week on Mastodon where someone was mentioning that they pasted some JSON into an LLM and then asked the language model to convert all of that into C-sharp codes. I mean, it's great that we can use LLMs to do that and it's fantastic to try out all of those use cases and so on. But just imagine if you have some JSON, you could just uh, write an algorithm that does this locally on your machine. Like you say, it could even be a stored procedure emitting uh, (laughs) C-sharp. it can be very local and it doesn't have to go on the network to a cloud provider uh, running on some GPUs across 30 different servers with terabytes and terabytes of storage just to do that. Um, it's good that people try it again, but also it's it's kind of silly that we are spending so much resources to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I read a news article. This is where I think the hype is kind of getting a little wacky. It was a news article. I don't know if it's substantiated or not, but it said uh, Microsoft is considering installing nuclear reactors to power their AI training, which was kind of, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of outlandish to think that a private company could just build a bunch of nuclear reactors. Well, that opens up a whole other, like, I posted something on on social media yesterday about there's a back in the early 60s there was a reactor a nuclear reactor that generated electricity from nuclear waste. Yeah. And so someone actually in some startup went, "Well, why don't we it and it hasn't been nothing's been built since then." And they're like, "We have all this waste, why don't we like actually look at doing that but i was just talking to my my son about that you're we have a holland michigan which is this kind of city not too far away from from where i live it's by lake michigan they have they actually have a nuclear a small very small nuclear uh reactor it's one of the new generation mm-hmm. i mean it's very safe uh because it is small, it uses less material. And so I actually, that's not fun. I I don't see why we couldn't. Like, it's, it's actually a lot greener and I probably get pitchforks coming after me <laughs> again. But uh, I think nuclear, safe nuclear, the new generation of nuclear could be greener than solar and wind and geothermal uh, and stuff like that so yeah I, I mean i'm on the fence but the the solar energy is coming in whether we want it to or not but putting nuclear reactors next to people's homes especially well, when there's like a corporate agenda behind it might yeah, trouble me yeah. i'm not saying <laughs> i'm not saying i'm i'm i know all the answers but uh yeah yeah 
but well, that's uh, why people come here, Chris. They're looking for know, all the looking, answers. Like they're looking for the answers, the old guys. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what what other technologies would we would we kill? Mm. Um, I'm, you know, one thing that I always thought that uh, was kind of yeah. Uh, I, I like your thing about the hype yeah. because I do think AI is, AI is going to be like, help us. It will be productive, but I don't think it's going to be game changing. I think the, the problem is, is that everyone looks at in 2007, when the iPhone came out, it basically transformed. It was that trans transformational technology mobile. Mm -hmm like mobile computing and stuff. And I think since then, so many people, every, any new thing that comes out, blockchains and crypto and AI and and even to some extent the cloud, mm -hmm. um, everyone thinks it's going to, they're they're trying to latch on and help like IoT. Like I, I like the idea of IoT. It just never really like, kind of did what the pundits said it was going to do. So, so yeah, I think I would kill off the, uh, the hype of the overhype of every new technology that come, that comes out that it's going to save the world and, and make things a utopia for them. Yeah. You know, you know what I would, this is, this is going to be really controversial. Um, and it kind of relates to how the web worked, right? With uh, like dependencies and pulling in scripts and stuff like that. But I was thinking about the other day and I think centralized package repositories like NPM and NuGet and uh, what's the one for Java, Martin? It's like uh, Maven. Maven. I think those are kind Central. of a mistake. Those, those I would almost say kill them off because what's kind of happened is these critical pieces of community infrastructure are managed by organizations. And for a large part of them, they're kind of like money sinks. They're, loss, they're losses for a lot of these organizations. So these organizations look at it and say well we kind of have to maintain these centralized package like like repositories but let's not spend a lot of time and effort on kind of the experience the curation of it thinking about maybe the api and improving it for a lot of different types of clients let's just kind of do in my opinion the bare minimum to keep this thing alive and I, th I think that's okay, it works, but there's so much more that these services could be in terms of curating, being a place where people can like share ideas. And um, right now they're just kind of being flooded with a lot of like low value packages and dependencies. And I, I, I think about the Mastodon model of decentralization and having people really kind of manage 
their servers and their communities and think about that stuff. And like, mm. if I could create a Frankenstein, it would be like a package management service that kind of worked off of ActivityPub so that people could help curate and manage a lot of these ecosystems and the the control of these repositories aren't centralized into an organization that maybe doesn't put it at the highest rung of priority, right? So um, not to pick on NuGet, but the NuGet like main like landing page has not really changed for a decade, right? <laughs> so yeah, um, there hasn't been a lot of innovation yeah. around NuGet. And uh, Martin would know more about that. Martin, I mean, what has there been any innovation around NuGet in the last five years? I think it is a service where you get packages, and uh, it's doing that really well. Um, mm -hmm. I do think I agree with with Khalid that there's no curation, there's no real innovation in how packages are presented. Uh, if any of the big organizations, AWS or Google or Microsoft, push out a new framework version. The latest seven pages of packages on NuGet are going to be all about that release train, and uh, your one open source project is never going to show up there, or mm -hmm. it's not easily discoverable. Uh, but other than that, there has been some innovation, right? There's uh, package signing. There's more. There's a couple more mechanisms to consume your packages knowing that you can trust whatever is on the repo there um, without having to fear that someone is going to inject some some random stuff into your into your build pipeline even though that can still happen but it's it's definitely gotten some attention and I think by most of the of the package repositories out there yeah um, yeah and again I, I think there have been innovations with NuGet it's just been really kind of slow to come so it just takes a while whereas like yeah to me i don't know where the right place to go to to find new packages to even have conversations about them build a community that seems like github on the project repos themselves but there's a meta narrative that also needs to happen in our community about there's these set of five packages that I really like. And when you combine them, they create a solution to solve this problem or that problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the centralization of all these package repositories and delivery has kind of, I think, kind of stunted a lot of communities, in my opinion. Um, whereas you look at something like a Deno, which is like a node competitor, I know a bunch of security people are going to lose their minds, but you can you can just reference a script URL directly in your file and import that JavaScript file from anywhere, right? I think that's pretty neat. Um, does like as a .NET person, would I like something like that where you could put a Git URL and pull a package in, and or maybe you know do that kind of stuff? That'd be kind of cool, but uh, mm -hmm. security stuff too. Yep. So. <laughs> so any anything else we would want to reanimate or murder in this season of of uh halloween no but i think you wanted to tell some spooky scary stories yeah of, yeah. yeah we're gonna transition over to that so so i mean we we've all been working for a 
fairly long time. Uh, so kind of one or two, let's not go too long, but what spooky stories do, do we have, uh, that, that we can tell and, and let's not mention companies or other people or like, Hey, Bob that I used to work with did this, like, let's not, let's keep this, uh, very, uh, uh, kind of, uh, not referencing specific people or places. Yeah. Well, this one time I was working with this guy named Martin and, uh, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> well, I, I actually have a story about working with this one guy named Martin and it's, it is about me. So I'm going to mention the name anyway. <laughs> I think a lot of people have done this at some point in their careers, uh, where you get access to a production database or something like that because you need to query something there. And uh, by accident, you forget this thing called the where clause and just remove everything from the database. So I actually wiped all of the subscription data for a big ISP in uh, one of the neighboring countries here, uh, which was not good. Fortunately, they ran point in time restores and backups and everything. So that was quite easy to fix. But I will tell you that was a day where I did not need coffee to stay awake. <laughs> Yeah, I think we all we've all been there and deleted, dropped databases, deleted tables, and uh, and done all that. So, so I know here the scariest thing I ever did was uh, this was ninety seven, and we were just starting like the web, and and was it ninety seven? Yeah, it was before, slightly before I got married. And I, I went into uh, this large company and, and it was a .NET project and they were like, okay, we need help with this. I think it was, it wasn't web. It was still, it was still like a, a windows app and it was a distributed application. So I, I went in, started looking at it and I'm like, I just went to the CTO and I went, I can't work on like this, this is garbage. I mean, I can't <laughs> fix garbage. So I I went back. He goes, well, we need something. So I went back to the DBA. So we actually had an Oracle DBA, and we sat down and figured out uh, how to like throw it all away. And that's the scariest thing is when you convince someone like a CTO or a CIO or uh, uh, any C level person to throw away. $750,000 worth of work. And that's what it was. So this was $1997. So this wasn't today's dollars. So $750,000 was a lot of work back then. And we convinced them to throw it all away. And, and we got everything done in, I think we had like $400,000 in budget and four months. So four showed up a little too, like a couple times. So, but we actually got it done under budget, under time, uh, and yeah, that was that was a that was a scary, scary thing because it felt like the boogeyman was like behind me the whole <laughs> time. So, but I always said that you can't be a good software developer if you haven't. Or a software engineer, if you haven't convinced someone to throw away 
more than a half million dollars worth of work and to redo it. So if, if you have half a million dollars, I would love to throw it away. I, I can help you there. Yeah, I was oh. going to say, I need to find someone who has that kind of money so I can convince them. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's why it was <laughs> tough, but yeah, it worked out. It worked out, so. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah, so I guess I guess we're wrapping up, right, Chris? Okay. Well, Clint, did you I, you never had a spooky story. Uh, I, I do have a spooky story. So uh, my first my first job was working on kind of like point of sale systems. And uh, I was using ASP.NET web forms, which I know Martin before this kind of said he would want to revive as well. So Martin's a big web forms uh, lover. So update panel. Yay. <laughs> oh, Ajax toolkit. Great, great stuff. Uh, but so I was building this point of sale table data thing, right? And uh, I was testing it on my local machine and pulling data from the database and everything was working fine. But then uh, all the managers and even the CTO of a company wanted to see a demo of it. So we pushed the app to uh, our test lab and it, performed so badly and i was just left scratching my head like what is going on so it turned out the asp.net web form had about 100 megabytes of data in view state to render what essentially amounted to like 100 kilobyte um like html table <laughs> so on my machine it worked fine because everything was local io but in the test lab so the obvious fix for that was just don't store 100 megabytes in view state. <laughs> but you could you could imagine I was like sweating bullets like, oh, what is going on here? This is embarrassing. That, yeah, that was nightmares when you actually saw the view state that was being passed around in some of those old uh, web view apps. It was like, wow, I, I didn't know uh, a... Uh, uh, HTTP request could could be that big. So, <laughs> yeah. so okay. So but, talking okay. about this, I'll 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 take it back. I do not want to revive web forms. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, we're cool. Well, uh, we're over a little bit of time, but you know what? This was a this was a fun a fun uh, episode to record. So. Uh, this will come out before Halloween, I promise. Uh, probably come out today. I'm going to try to push it out tonight. Uh, but if you have spooky stories, if you have ideas for future shows, we're always looking. We we, we sometimes have a hard time thinking of like ideas for shows. So like ping us individually or ping the show, social media stuff. Tell us what you want us to talk about. Uh, we would love to get new ideas. And just if you're watching this on YouTube, go down there and, and press like and subscribe. Um, we don't make any money off of the show. So it's not like you, uh, uh, you're you putting any, helping us feed our families or anything. You will get the algorithm to kind of push us out to uh, to new people and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I really appreciate doing this uh martin cleed 
thank you. Uh, yeah, I hope you, uh, in two weeks we'll be back and and hopefully someone out there in, in the audience will share an idea that they want us to talk about or they they want to bring up or or even if you don't like some of the stuff that we said today, tell us. We're we're okay with with saying we're a bunch of idiots, and <laughs> I mean I I get that a lot, especially with my kids. So so uh, cool. All right, you guys want to say goodbye? Bye. Yeah, let's say goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Have a good Halloween. Ooh. Spooky. Ooh. <laughs>